Dog Days of Podcasting, Day 18, Friday, August 21st, 2020. Today's topic, polio. We'll likely get back to more on the flu, but let's talk a bit about polio today. Polio is a bit unique in this series because it does not seem like there were any really huge pandemics, nor did it really kill many people compared to some of the other diseases we've talked about. However, it was a very scary disease in the first half of the 1900s, mostly in developed countries, which itself is somewhat interesting. Polio is short for poliomyelitis. It's an infectious disease caused by the polio virus, which is an RNA virus. Poliomyelitis comes from the Greek words for gray and marrow, referring to the spinal cord, and the suffix itis, meaning inflammation. Technically, there are three forms of the polio virus. All of them are bad, and we'll treat them just as one virus. For all of those infected, in up to 70% of infections, there are no symptoms. However, in about 0.5% of cases, there is muscle weakness resulting in an inability to move. This can occur over a few hours to a few days. The weakness most often involves the legs, but they may less commonly involve the muscles of the head, neck, and diaphragm. While many people fully recover, in those with mu- muscle weakness, about 2-5% to 5% of children and 15-30% to 30% of adults die. Years after recovery, post-polio syndrome may occur with a slow development of muscle weakness similar to that in which the person similar to that which the person had during the initial infection. Poliovirus is usually spread from person to person through infected fecal matter entering the mouth. Gross. It may also be spread by food or water containing human feces and less commonly from infected saliva. The disease occurs naturally only in humans. I think cholera was the same way. Poliovirus enters the body through the mouth, multiplying along the way to the digestive tract, where it further multiplies. In paralytic polio, the virus leaves the digestive tract, enters the bloodstream, and then attacks nerve cells. Fewer than 1-2% to of people who contract polio become paralyzed. In severe cases, the throat and chest may be paralyzed. Death may result if the patient does not receive artificial breathing support. It's likely that polio plagued humans for thousands of years. An Egyptian carving from about 1400 BC depicts a young man with a leg deformity similar to one caused by polio. It is theorized that the Roman Emperor Claudius was stricken as a child, and this caused him to walk with a limp for the rest of his life. An early recorded case of polio is that of Sir Walter Scott. He was a Scottish dude who was a writer. He wrote the uh, he wrote Ivanhoe, if you've ever read that. In 1773, Scott was said to have developed, quote, a severe teething fever, which deprived him of the power of his right leg, unquote. Polio circulated in human populations at low levels and appeared to be relatively uncommon for most of the 1800s. But polio reached epidemic proportions in the early 1900s in countries with relatively high standards of living. Many scientists think that advances in hygiene paradoxically led to an increased incidence of polio. The theory is that in the past, 
infants were exposed to polio, mainly through contaminated water supplies at a very young age. Well, if you're an infant, you're young. Infants' immune systems, aided by the maternal antibodies still circulating in their blood, could quickly defeat polio virus and then develop lasting immunity to it. However, better sanitary conditions meant that exposure to polio was delayed until later in life, on average, when a child had lost maternal protection and was also more vulnerable to the most severe form of the disease. Pretty interesting. Major polio epidemics were unknown before the 20th century. Localized paralytic polio epidemics began to appear in Europe and the U.S. around 1900. Some of the first reports of multiple polio cases uh, described an 1841 outbreak in Louisiana. Epidemics appeared in the form of outbreaks of at least 14 cases near Oslo, Norway in 1868 and 13 cases in northern Sweden in 1881. The next U.S. report was a cluster of 26 cases in Boston in 1893. The first real recognized U.S. polio epidemic occurred the following year in Vermont with 132 cases with 16 deaths, including several adults. Still, it wasn't until 1905 that a Swedish doctor suggested polio was a contagious disease during an outbreak there. In 1908, the virus was identified by Carl's, by, I'm sorry, by Carl Lonsteiner and Erwin Popper in Vienna using the technique we've described before. Thus, Popper and Lonsteiner deduced the viral nature of polio by carefully filtering preparations of spinal cord fluid from a person who had died of polio. The filters were known to trap bacteria. Remember the Cumberland filter. When Popper and Lonsteiner injected the filtered preparations into monkeys, the monkeys developed polio. Poor monkeys. The researchers then concluded an infectious particle smaller than bacteria caused the disease. Polio virus itself would not be visible to researchers until the 1950s when the electron microscope was available. In 1960, this was kind of the first big one, health officials announced a polio epidemic centered in Brooklyn, New York. As was typical with polio outbreaks, infections surfaced in the summer months. More than 2,000 people would die in New York City alone. Across the U.S. in 1916, polio took the lives of about 6,000 people leaving thousands more paralyzed. The 1916 epidemic caused widespread panic and thousands fled the city to nearby mountain resorts. Movie theaters were closed, meetings were canceled, public gatherings were almost non-existent, and children were warned not to drink from water fountains and told to avoid amusement parks, swimming pools, and beaches. So it is interesting, you know, how we think what's happening now is so unique and unprecedented, but... We're seeing that uh, you know, social isolation was a thing in the past. Anyway, from 1916 onward, a polio epidemic appeared each summer in at least one part of the country, with the most serious occurring in the 1940s and 1950s. In the epidemic of 1949, 2,720 deaths from the disease occurred in the U- U.S., and 42,000 cases were reported and can't in Canada and the United Kingdom, I'm sorry, were reported, and Canada and the United Kingdom were also affected. There's a little side note here. Uh, In 1921, Franklin Roosevelt, a former U.S. New York State Senator, 
assistant secretary to the Navy and future U.S. president, fell ill with what most historians think was polio. Roosevelt's illness left his legs paralyzed for life. He avoided being uh, photographed in his wheelchair, however, and used braces and canes to appear to walk. Uh, the interesting part about that is they said uh, historians think it was polio. I thought we knew for sure it was polio. I didn't know there was any doubt about it. Uh, I went to the FDR library website and found this. A little bit more about that. During the summer of 1921, FDR was enjoying a day of sailing on his yacht, because he was a little rich boy, when he suddenly fell overboard into the icy waters. Uh, actually, he was 39 when this happened. Uh, he, he fell overboard into the icy waters of the Bay of Fundy, which felt paralyzing to his body. The following day, he complained of lower back pain and went for a swim in hopes to ease the soreness. As the day progressed, he could feel his legs becoming weaker, and by the third day, he could no longer hold his own weight. Wow, that's fast. His skin quickly became very sensitive, and eventually even a slight breeze across his body caused great distress. He was eventually diagnosed with polio, rare for a man of 39. Okay, so this website says it was polio. Continuing on. For several years, his main focus shifted from politics to recovering from his paralysis. FDR began routinely swimming three times a week. He had realized that his legs could support the weight of his body in water with ease and used swimming as his main exercise. Eventually, his arms regained strength, his nervous system was functioning normally, and his stomach and lower back were getting stronger. In January of 1922, FDR was fit with braces that locked in at the knee and continued the length of his leg. And by the spring of that year, he could stand with assistance. FDR made a plan that one day he would walk the length of his driveway. I mean, that's fast. It just took, uh, uh, when did this start? Summer of 1921 to January of 22, he got to the point where he wasn't walking. Uh, you know, barely walking. Anyway, he, he wanted to walk the length of his driveway, although he never accomplished the task. He used it as a training procedure, working himself to the bone in hopes that he would be able uh, to walk again if he continued exercising. In 1924, FDR made a trip to the Warm Springs Resort in Georgia with the high hopes that the mineral water in the springs, sorry, my cat is crawling on me, uh, the mineral water in the springs, uh, which was known to be rich in mineral content and, and to be extremely pure, would help him. Although the waters did not restore FDR to ultimate health, his continued visits throughout the, his political life resulted in an increase in the resort's popularity and business. Uh, there's more on the website about how polio affected his political life as well, if you want to read that. Uh, like with the flu and other all types of diseases, of course, early treatments uh, for polio included all types of wacky stuff, such as... Give oxygen through the lower extremities by positive electricity, whatever that means. Take frequent baths using almond meal. Apply Roman chamomile, slippery elm, arnica, mustard, cantharsis, amyg amygdalae, dulcis oil, I think that's an almond oil, and of special merit, spikenard oil, which is from some flower, and xanthozolinium which I think might be a type of an evergreen tree. 
Internally, use vitamin C, caffeine, kola nut, dry muriate of quinine, which is just a salt of quinine, radium water, chloride of gold, and that chloride of gold is just a gold salt. Uh, if you've never dug in, by the way, if you've never dug into the crazy history of the uses of radium back in the day, which Marie Curie discovered, uh, check that out. Read up on radium. Radium water was a thing. So they put, you know, that's radioactive. And they'd put it into water and drink it, thinking, hey, this is good for you. Of course, it was, it was nothing but bad for you. Another side note. Uh, sorry, my cat is trying to crawl on the keyboard now. You know how that is. All right, cat. Quit bugging me right now. Another side note. Sister Elizabeth Kenny was a self-trained Australian bush nurse who developed a new approach for treating victims of polio. Max, now you're going to crawl on my phone, which is what I'm recording this with. Crazy. All right. Sorry, everyone. Uh, Elizabeth Kenny. Her method differed from the then conventional medical practice, which called for placing affected limbs in plaster casts. Instead, she applied hot compresses to affected parts of the patient's bodies, followed by passive movement of those areas. Her principles of muscle rehab became the foundation of physical therapy. There was a movie about her in 1946. All right, back to uh, polio. Of course, we know that crutches and special leg braces and wheelchairs were developed uh, for victims of polio. By the way, I was trying to remember if Forrest Gump had polio, but he didn't. In the story, he's just born with crooked legs. The first iron lung, I'm sure you've all heard of iron lungs. The first iron lung used in the treatment of polio victims was invented by Philip Drinker, uh, Louis Agassiz Shaw, and James Wilson at Harvard, and tested on October 12, 1928 at Children's Hospital in Boston. An electric motor was attached to two vacuum cleaners and worked by changing the pressure inside the machine. When the pressure is lowered, the chest cavity expands, trying to fill this partial vacuum. When the pressure is raised, the chest cavity contracts. The design was improved over time. Makes total sense how it works. The iron lung saved many thousands of lives, but the machine was large, cumbersome and very expensive, especially given that patients were encased in the, metal, in the metal chambers for months, years, and sometimes for life. 57,628 polio cases were reported in the U.S. in 1952. That was the really big year, I think. More than 21,000 of them paralytic cases. So that's like more than one in three of the polio cases were paralytic. That seems to be more than what we heard earlier. This epidemic heightened parents' fears of the disease and focused public awareness on the need for a vaccine. From what I read, from about 1916 through the 50s, every summer there was a big, big fear of polio all over the place. And there was always this fear of going to swimming pools or public places and so on. I didn't realize how prominent that was. And of course, there was quite the rush to develop uh, treatments and a vaccine. We'll talk about all this business, uh, how, what people were, were experiencing and about the vaccine in an upcoming episode. Stay tuned.